Welcome back to Bad Movie Sunday. Kissing booth friends, foes, haters, and lovers. <laughs> We're back for what hopefully will be the last time we do any sort of kissing booth episode. Um, I'm Ashley. I'm Amy, and it wouldn't be a kissing booth episode without our very special guest, Faye. Hi, hey, it's Faye. Um, gotta say, hashtag kissing for a uh, kissing booth for hashtag kissing booth for. Let's get it going, guys. You heard it here first. Uh, hashtag kissing booth for. We got a lot of ideas. Actually, I was listening to our last kissing booth episode, kissing booth two, and we were throwing out ideas. Um, Netflix, you can take all of them if you'd like. I think we mentioned uh, kissing booth colon the pissing booth. Kissing booths for too fast, too kissing? No, that wouldn't work. Um, we'll think of some. We'll think of some during this episode. What's the fourth one? What's the, what's the fourth title? Is it just like Fast Four or something? Kiss oh Four? Oh my god. Four? About the Fast and the Furious has the stupidest thing. It's like Suicide Squad and The Suicide Squad. It's The Fast and The Furious for the number four. The I watched... kissing and the booth. <gasps> the two separate things. There's kissing and then there's... <laughs> A different booth. Do you know what it would probably be? It would probably just be kissing booth. Like, you know how in the end of Gilmore Girls, Mm. how uh, when they're writing the book, Gilmore Girls or whatever, they're like, oh, no, leave off the the. It's cleaner. Just Gilmore Girls. This would be like, just (laughs) kissing booth. And then people would search up kissing booth and they'd come up with the fourth one and they'd watch it out of order like I did with the Fast and Furious movies because that's a stupid naming convention. Wait, but the the Gilmore Girls thing, that's... That's like uh like parodying Facebook, right? Because it used to be called the Facebook. Oh, ah, shit. Okay, well, true. I'm not um, deep enough in the lore, okay. I guess, to get that reference. It's okay. Gilmore Girls is better than Facebook. And <laughs> Kissing Booth. Frankly. And Kissing Booth. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> we are Bad Movie Sunday. We're a podcast that watches bad movies so you don't have to. We roast them. We toast them. And most of the time, we have a lot of fun. We'll frankly see you... Uh, with this movie because it was, oh my god! I mean, we've been through this twice already. We're back here again, uh, like Amy mentioned. We're back with Faye, who was our um, you know, the person that started this whole thing off. I think Kissing Booth One was either the first or one of the first episodes we put out ever in the podcast. So this is you know coming full circle here. If Kissing Booth Four happens, I will be storming the Netflix building. Um, pitchforks, torches, the whole nine yards. Please don't let it. Hashtag please don't let Kissing Booth 4 happen. (laughs) (laughs) But I feel like we should get right into this because there's a lot to say about this movie and I feel like this episode's going to be pretty long as is. Yeah, let's just dive right in. To anyone who hasn't seen the first and second Kissing Booth movies, I would recommend you at least, you know, listen to our episodes on uh, Kissing Booth 1 and Kissing Booth 2. But if you just don't have the time or you just don't want to, totally understandable. We do have a little recap here for the Kissing Booth 2. So this is coming from ScreenRant.com. I think it's just called, the article is just called Kissing Booth 2 Recap, if you want to look it up. But basically it says... In The Kissing Booth 2, L. Evans, played again by Joey King, 
attempts to earn college money by entering a dance dance mania competition. She aims to win the $50,000 grand prize, which could potentially allow her to attend Harvard University with her slightly older beau, Noah Flynn. When Elle's best friend, Lee Flynn, fakes an injury and seemingly can't participate in the contest, new school transfer Marco steps in, with the twist being that he's the current DDM record holder at the local arcade. Meanwhile, Elle struggles with uncertain feelings about her romance with Noah as he's befriended an attractive Harvard student named Chloe. Um, And then it goes on to say, The Kissing Booth 2 culminates with a series of unfortunate events that causes major friction between the focal teenagers. Lee receives a tongue lashing from girlfriend Rachel, and Elle ends up kissing Marco on stage at the DDM competition, unaware that Noah is in the audience. The Netflix film ends with some narrative clarity, but poses new questions that Elle must address. Did it completely skip over the college part? Like, that was the cliffhanger, was the college part, and it, they completely skipped that in this recap. Yeah, I think they did leave um, what exactly the questions were out of the article. But yeah, so Elle is left kind of having to decide between going to Berkeley with Lee, her best friend, or going to Harvard with Noah, her boyfriend. She's just too desirable. Every school wants her. (laughs) Harvard's like, girl, when are you getting back to us? You little cheeky girl. Yeah, Harvard is, and Berkeley are both really letting her, actually time zone's a little wonky, but are waiting until months for her to decide. And like most other students, how to decide before they graduate. But it was after their graduation that she found out she got into both colleges. Yeah, and then in The Kissing Booth 2, there was also a really wonky timeline with her admissions letter to both of the colleges, because she was writing her, like, admissions little paragraph or whatever, like, the first week of school, but then she was also writing it, like, through graduation, and I'm like, how long is this taking? Yeah, the timelines, I think on all these movies, are a little uh, wonky, I guess. I mean, all these movies are kind of... (laughs) hard to get through this one specifically is was it just me or this movie's really long like really really long i remember thinking like halfway through the movie like oh we're halfway through july now we're getting into august and they're like at our july the fourth party and i'm like fuck what the fuck is (laughs) only july 4th you're barely into the summer and you've done all this and you there's still like two months left of this i felt like it took two months to watch this movie Oh my god, literally. <laughs> Just like the last time we all watched it, um, the first time together as a group, we had a group chat going, and it passed by so quickly when I was watching it with you guys. And then when I was re-watching it, because I had to re-watch to take some notes, it was so slow and so long, and it's only like, I think, an hour and 45 minutes. It seems like over two hours. Yeah, it does not... It does not feel like an hour and a half. It's one of those kind of movies, I think, especially watching it on your own when you don't have, like, people around you to sort of bounce off of and just make fun of it, which is, you know, the reason why I think most people are going to be watching this movie. It's just like one of those movies where you'll get, like, 20 minutes in. You're like, damn, that was a ride. This movie must be almost over. And then you're like, no, there's 20 minutes in. And then you're like 30 minutes in. You're like, wow, okay, a lot has happened. I 
the movie is pretty much almost over now and you, you check and you're like oh my god it's still like an hour left and it just keeps like every 10 minutes you're like this has got to be over by now right and it never is it never ends and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that there are so many storylines in this movie. Like, we mentioned that one of the, you know, the major storyline that we were left with after Kissing Booth 2 is, you know, what college is she going to go to? This one is like, oh, yeah, that problem is over with. And now we have like 15 different other ones. So, you know, just to kind of tell you what this movie is about after that little recap i do also have a summary from google for this movie the kissing booth three the summary says determined to make the most of her final summer before college l plans the ultimate bucket list as she navigates what comes next with noah and lee now we got a whole bucket list element going on we got um some you know, tension between Noah, Lee, Elle. It's a lot going on. Can I give a little spoilers for people who haven't seen it? And we're going to be getting into spoilers in this podcast. If you don't know how this works, we're going to be breaking it down scene by scene um, and really just ripping into her. But if you haven't seen this movie and you're just kind of on the fence, should I see her? That bucket list thing is like 10 minutes of the movie. And then it, it's different storylines after that. It's, oh my God, I... I can't wait to get into our individual thoughts about this because there's so much to much like there was so much going on in this movie. um, We have so much to say about this movie. Um, So if you are planning on watching this yourself and you are planning on watching it with friends, which is probably how I would recommend watching this movie, we have, as always, a specialty drink that you can make yourself and to go along with it, a drinking game to make this movie even 1% more enjoyable because 1% times zero, still 0% enjoyable. But (laughs) at least you'll be drinking. In the Kissing Booth 1 episode, I think our drink was like the Angel's Kiss. And then in the Kissing Booth 2 episode, our drink was the Devil's Kiss. So this is hopefully the last Kissing Booth movie. And so our drink today is the Last Kiss Cocktail. I'm getting this recipe from mixology.recipes, and if you want to look it up, but I'll tell you uh, how to make it right now. So what you're going to need is one and a half ounces of light rum, a half an ounce of gin, quarter of an ounce brandy, quarter of an ounce dry vermouth, quarter of an ounce fresh lemon juice, and a quarter of a teaspoon sugar. Um, So it's really simple. You just shake in an iced cocktail shaker, strain, and serve into a cocktail glass. Um, It should get you through this movie, but you might have to go back for seconds. You probably will, especially with the amount of times the things we're going to mention in this drinking game are going to happen. I think we're going to go back and forth and just say our points. I would recommend probably picking from the list because some of these things happen a lot oh then again you may you may need all these points to get through this movie (laughs) my first point is every time there's a montage and that one alone will ruin you (laughs) that one is good i feel like every bucket list item has been a montage yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh my first one is every time just someone cries there's a lot of crying in this movie Faye, what do you got um, every time Lee works at that restaurant that Elle works at, 
but you're it's not quite <laughs> certain if Lee actually works there. So every time he pretends to work there. God, can I just say before we move on, that's like these movies are so out of touch with like everything. It's just the, okay. Just I uh, will touch on it briefly, but just to mention very briefly. Yeah, Elle works at a restaurant in this movie, and Lee, her best friend, is sometimes comes into the restaurant, and he's like, eh, what if I worked here for the day? And that's such a, like, rich boy <laughs> thing to be like, oh my god, oh my gosh, put on what a costume I... of a waiter for a He's day. literally, like, cosplaying <laughs> as the poor today. <laughs> I don't know if this is, like, something you pick out specific moments, but, like, every time you think a fight is over, and then the same fight start again. I feel like there are so many points where, like, this is resolved. Our issues on this is done. And then the same same shit starts again, like, a scene later. God, to go off that, I had a point saying every time Elle has a fight with someone. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, my last point is every time either Lee or Elle mention one of their friendship rules. Yeah, that's good. We're still on that from the first <laughs> movie. So fun. Um, my last one is every time someone kisses, which again, wow. that one alone will ruin you. Hopefully all those points will make this movie a little bit more enjoyable. You can pick those and drink along to our podcast as well. That's always an option. We'll try to yell out drink when some of these things happen, but we forget literally every time. So you're kind of on your own. <laughs> In the meantime, that's pretty much the end of our non-super spoilery section. We're going to be getting into the movie now and breaking it down, everything that happens. So if you literally care about spoilers for The Kissing Booth 3, which if you do, I don't know what to tell you, man. Maybe <laughs> therapy? <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be breaking this down scene by scene. And, oh, literally, you can start off this movie already kind of crunk because it starts off with, oh, you guessed it, a montage. <laughs> Yeah, there's this random road trip montage where Elle's kind of explaining, oh, what did we do after graduation? We went on a road trip. Literally, like, doesn't come back in the rest of the movie, the fact that they went on a road trip. Uh, I think it was just, like, a little uh, shout-out to one of the kissing booths, um, because the kissing booth is based on a series of books. I think there's, like, a short story called The Road Trip or something, so they're just, like, <laughs> shouting out. <laughs> So other than that, we kind of start off exactly where we were from the end of the second movie. Elle is still deciding between Berkeley and Harvard. Um, she's still with Flynn as her boyfriend. Uh, we kind of have this, like we said, montage of them just sort of doing stuff together. But the real conflict starts when we find out that Lee and Noah's family are going to sell their family beach house. Which, they spend a huge amount of time talking about, oh my god, this is our childhood beach house. Remember all the memories we had at this beach? Oh, I love this beach house. And I was sitting there watching this movie like, did I, I mean, it's been a while uh, since, I mean, we watched these movies when they came out. We saw the first one back in, what, 2019, I think, when it came out. The second one we saw last year. So I'm like, oh, it's been a while since I've seen the previous iterations of these movies uh, did i miss something am i forgetting <laughs> something about no this is just a random beach house that they introduce and we 
they talk about it as if we care about this beach house and we don't and so much of this movie focuses on oh should we sell the beach house no it's so close to our hearts and yet we don't know anything about this beach house and it has never come up before and i don't care about it (laughs) i think because they've also gone to the beach a bunch of times before that so i was wondering why like the flynn family needed a beach house because they seem to live really close to a beach yeah good point and also the reason that they wanted to sell the beach house didn't really make sense to me because molly ringwald who plays noah and lee's mom she's like oh you know now that lee and l are going off to college you know we're not gonna be at the beach house. like they're going to college but they still have the summers off basically like noah's in college and he's at the beach house i don't get it (laughs) Literally, yeah. I'm. I don't know where this movie is supposed to take place, really. But at least, I mean, then again, we live in Canada, so this isn't super a thing for us. But I feel like you're not going to be going to a beach house during the school year anyway, regardless of whether you're in high school or middle school or university. You're going to be coming back during the summers to the beach house. So I don't know why this is even a problem. They live in L.A., I think. Okay, so at least it's warm sort of year-round, but still. Actually, I have no idea how far the beach house is from their actual home. Because I feel like sometimes you have a vacation home, you have it like somewhere sort of further away where you can actually go get away. But Lee regularly goes back to her actual house because she has to babysit her brother. So is it just like down the road, they have another house? Yeah, I was wondering about that, too. Regardless, Lee's family is planning on selling this beach house, probably because all the kids are going to university and they won't be able to use it anymore. So all the kids are very mad at this. Lee, Elle, Noah, Lee's girlfriend, who doesn't really super matter. But um, <laughs> they are all like, no, you can't sell the, all the memories. We literally have like a montage of all their memories or whatever. So that's two, two shots in the first like 10 minutes. So fun. I really, you got to pick one of those drinking points, man. You're going <laughs> to die um, just from the montages alone. So they all offer to take care of the beach house or like run the beach house before they all go to college together so they can have like one last big memory with it, I guess. And we get another, I can't believe, another third montage (laughs) of them like cleaning the beach house. It's been 10 minutes. We've had three montages. You're going to get so wasted watching this movie. So they're cleaning the beach house. So much to say about this scene. First of all, Elle has her own room in the beach house. And then Elle and Lee have a different room with all their, like, kid toys in it. And that's the room that they call, without explaining it to us, they call it the rumpus room. <laughs> the rumpus room? <laughs> The rumpus room. Now, I don't know why, and they don't say why. Molly Ringwald's like, oh, did you guys clean out the rumpus room? And they just, like, know what she's talking about. Are we going to have to read the Beach House novella to understand this movie? We're reading the Beach House novella, which is, like, the second or third book in this Kissing Boo series. Well, that elevates our level of understanding. Is that where this is from? 
I think the setting is, I've never read it. Like the setting is, I don't think that it takes place in the same time frame. Like I don't think it's a summer before Al goes to college, but it, I mean, it's called the beach house and they're at a beach house. So I assume <laughs> they represent sense. the same thing. <laughs> I, okay. <laughs> I need to spend too much time on this, but rumpus room sounds so nasty. Am I crazy that rump, rump is like your butt, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when they said rumpus room, I was like, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> yes. Where are you going or, with this? Okay, I haven't seen the movie, but I only know one fact because there was a a bit about it. Um, my brother, my brother, and me. But but he has this room. The dude has this room called like his playroom, right? Oh now rumpus God. room sounds like a nasty synonym for like a playroom. Or whatever he calls it in the movie of that time. Like, rumpus room? Ew. What? Ew. Like, I, I get they don't want to call it, oh, their toy room, their playroom. <laughs> call it, like, their their game room. Call it, like, the family room. Like guys, Game room sounds nice. I feel a little sad that toy room and playroom have such connotations. <laughs> I, did, I did look up rumpus room super quickly. It's a North American slash and or Australian slang for a room typically in a basement used for games and recreation. So it is not unique to the kissing booth. It might be mainly used in place that we don't live in. Yeah, like, we're North they- American and we've never heard of that before. It does <laughs> super honestly. I feel like there would have been less kind of weird connotations if they were like, oh, go to your playroom. People would have like you see the toys all around there. You would I, I wouldn't have thought anything of it. Rumpus room, though? I'm thinking <laughs> when you bring rump into it. <laughs> yeah. So in their rumpus room, after the whole montage okay. of them, like, kind of cleaning it, I think this is, like, a, a whole separate montage, by the way, of them just cleaning the rumpus room, because there was a montage of them, like, looking through the house, but then there's this fourth montage of them cleaning out the rumpus room, and in the rumpus room, they find this bucket list. They sure damn did like to make lists when they were in kindergarten or whatever, because uh, alongside their friendship rules list, they also made this beach bucket list that in the 10 or so years since they made the list, they have not crossed a single thing off of the list. Um, but they find the beach bucket list and they're like, oh, cool, let's like do it. Which if you're like us watching this movie and you see this scene and you're like, oh, wow, we've come across the inciting incident. Finally, they found this beach bucket list which for some reason they haven't done in like 18 years or whatever they're like oh let's do this bucket list it's gonna be so fun our last summer together you're like okay it was even in the the summary that this is what this movie is going to be about they're gonna have to check off all the things on their bucket list we and i wish I wish so. If I had a genie, you know that would be my first wish to you, the listeners, is that um, I was joking. We have a fifth, let me say that again, a fifth montage in like 15 minutes of them doing all the things on the bike. And there's like a couple things left over that they like sprinkle out. It was like two things that they do the rest of the movie. They have another montage of them just 
rushing through the bucket list and you're like what's the movie what's the movie gonna that was the whole movie that was in 15 minutes you've wrapped up you've done the inciting incident and you finished it you completely wrapped that up what how could you have a montage of them just completing the entire bucket list and then we're 10 minutes in the movie what's gonna happen the rest of the movie Oh, and you might be thinking at this point, oh, it's just Elle deciding what college she wants to go to, right? Wrong, because we also resolved that issue in the first 10 or 15 minutes in this movie. Because the whole reason Elle and Lee decide to do all the things on the bucket list is because Elle chooses to go to Harvard, which makes Lee angry. So Elle feels guilty and she tries to make up for it by saying, oh, you know what? We can still have the best summer ever. We can like cross off everything on the bucket list. Like, don't worry, even though I'm going to be in Boston um, because Lee is going to go to Berkeley. uh, She's like, just because I'm going to be in Boston doesn't mean we can't have a good summer before that. So she's like doing all these things with Lee because she kind of feels guilty that she's ditching him for Noah and going to Boston. Yep. So that's two Entire plot lines resolved in, like, the first 15 minutes. Yeah, and I think the bucket list items that he checked off later, like, the couple of big scenes around it, I feel like they were more set dressing, like, more background stuff than they actually contributed to the plot. Which, what is the plot, really? (laughs) (laughs) Faye, that is a good question. I've at least watched this movie twice now. And I still can't answer that question for you. It's just a string of things that happen. It's just literally. Yeah. Speaking of a, a, a string of things that happen one after another and seemingly don't have really much of a connection to each other. You, you're so right. That's literally exactly what this movie seems like. Just a bunch of disjointed scenes that are cut together. Because then we get a bunch of random stuff that has nothing to do with L choosing what college she's going to go to because she's done that or her doing her bucket list with Lee because she's done that. So now they have to make up a bunch of other random things to happen for the rest of the like hour and 30 minutes we have left of this movie. I'm getting so mad. Usually this is like a, <laughs> we talk about this movie and we have quippy jokes between I'm just I'm just mad. So the way that they fill in the extra hour and a half left in this movie is they just bring in people from the second movie just randomly. So if you guys remember Marco, who she was doing that Dance Dance Revolution contest with, uh, MVP himself, as Faye calls him, MVP no plan, (laughs) because he never has a plan. He comes in because... Elle is working at this restaurant and his family is eating at the restaurant. And Elle's like, oh, my God, so weird bumping into you here at the beach. And he's like, yeah, I uh, work at the water park now. And she's like, oh, interesting. Well, can you hook me and Lee up with this special thing we want to do on our bucket list? And he's like, yeah, no problem. And that's kind of how he gets roped uh, into this movie. And then at the same time, Chloe, who is Noah's Harvard best friend, uh, who in the last movie, Elle thought Noah was cheating on her with Chloe, but then turned out that wasn't true. So Chloe comes back and Chloe's like, can I stay with you guys at the beach house? And Noah's like, yeah, sure. And she's like, "Um, do you want to ask Elle first if that's okay?" And he's like, 
not really. So <laughs> that's how they get Chloe and Marco back in. The favor that Elle asked Marco is to help set up this like intense this this okay this scene okay actually looked pretty fun. Uh, say what you want about the movie, but it looks like they had a, a good time making it. Because in this scene, Elle is like, can we convince you to use the go-kart thing and have like a real-life Mario Kart race? And also MVP is going to dress up like Wario. <laughs> so- oh, I totally forgot it. he works at the water park because we saw the racetrack later. And I just didn't connect that there was a racetrack at the water park. Yeah, same. I only caught that on the second time. Okay. And I was like, okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, you can tell those things have a lot in common. Um, You guys never go to a water park and there's just randomly a racetrack? <laughs> I feel like they wanted Marco to be a lifeguard because that's like the typical hot profession to have. Like, what if he's just like, I'm the person that hands out tickets at the racetrack, right? Like, how crazy <laughs> would that be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And of course, because they've already wrapped up basically all the storylines that they've introduced, they have to bring back storylines from the second movie, which were already resolved at the end of the second movie. So, of course, now that MVP is back in this movie, they're like, oh, can we just have like, you know, a platonic friendship between the... No, no. (laughs) Um, We're going to dig back up all the romantic tension between MVP and Elle from the second movie. Remember how they resolved that in the second movie? Never mind. We're going to dig all that back (laughs) up. The same jealousy that Noah has towards MVP. We're digging that back up, too. The whole reason why MVP even has to... uh, Even gets to, I guess race in this Mario Kart thing with Elle and her friends is because Elle asked Noah to do it and Noah's like, mm, nah, that's lame. So Elle's like, okay, bitch, I'm gonna ask my um other boy toy who's <laughs> <laughs> better than you to do this. And of course, Noah gets jealous again. He's like, bleh, 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 I'm gonna do it. And then the, the whole movie is basically Noah and Marco fighting over Elle, which we already resolved in the second movie. However, we do get scenes of, dare I say, character development on Noah's part. I know. I know it it doesn't sound like those words should be applied to Noah Flynn, of all people. But, okay, in the first two movies, we know that Noah loves to go around punching people. Just anybody in the first movie especially in the second movie like maybe once or twice he had like a violent interaction with like marco or whatever in this movie y'all in this movie noah did not even throw one punch one punch man no zero punch man (laughs) okay he's the zero punch man now because marco tried to start some shit with him and marco punched him he didn't fight back. He's like, you know what? Fuck this. Walked away. Guys, is that character development or what? My God, he stopped punching people. <laughs> Rainbow. I do want to super quick mention the first time I saw the Mario Kart costumes. Mad respect for Lee for being Princess Peach. That was probably the, my highlight of this movie. Yeah. 
100%. Also, in the in the Mario Kart scene, we got a glimpse of Tuppin. Yeah, as we know, our favorite Tuppin! character from this series. <laughs> oh! Why is he back? Am I the only one that was, like, super... Co- I was like, this dude, like... He was, like, assaulting girls in the first movie, right? Like, we didn't all forget that, right? They, they, like, play it off as such a joke in this movie because, like, just to, like, skip ahead for one second, but there's this, again, a montage at the end of the movie where Elle is kind of saying goodbye to all of these B-level characters, including Tuppen. And in her goodbye to Tuppen, she says bye, and then she slaps his ass. Oh, my God. Feminism? Gender equality! equality. (laughs) So, yeah. Guys, um, I think I that's called the wage gap. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here we have Elle, uh, number one feminist, uh, leading the movement, slapping Tuppen's ass. <laughs> yeah, he's in like a lot of scenes, though. He was in like this random party scene uh, where he brought Marco and he was in like a bunch of other scenes. And I'm like, what is going on here? Tuppen friends with Marco? Okay. Separately, I thought of another drinking game thing, which is every time Elle got too busy to do a bucket list item with Lee. And then, but he had a new friend. He made a new friend who's going to Berkeley with them. And he's like, oh, Elle, if you're busy, let me just do this with uh, my new friend here. And I don't know, it was, it was like a weird jealousy thing where I guess like she was sort of self-aware about it, where I was like, I know I have no right to be, but I'm jealous that Lee's making new friends. I was really into this friendship, I think, in the first movie. But, like, at this point, after all this is dragged on, this is just a really, really bad friendship. Yeah. So, uh, Lee makes his new friend Ashton. And whenever Elle, like, forgets to do one of the bucket list things, Lee's like, don't worry about it, because I brought Ashton instead. Um, This whole movie is just, like, people getting jealous of each other. No one being jealous of Marco, again. Elle being jealous... Of, like, literally everybody, uh, including Ashton, this new friend. Yeah. Also, I don't know why they're, like, introducing new people in the third movie and also trying to, like, shoehorn in all the old people in the movie, too. This was the same sort of, or one of the issues on a lesser scale that we had with um, Kissing Booth 2 introduced these two gay characters, which, I mean, the problem, were one of the problems we had with um, their characters in the second movie was the fact that they just sort of introduced them for the point of having gay characters, but didn't actually do anything with their characters or seem to care at all. And on a lesser scale, they did that in this movie too, where they introduced characters like Ashton and did nothing with a, we don't know anything about this guy besides the fact that he goes to Berkeley and he shows up in a couple scenes being like, Lee's my new best friend. And that's it. It just you're don't right. You have other friends, like you meet this guy the immediate, like I'm dropping everything, like yeah. Yeah. We don't know anything about him. He just comes in. You're right. They try to shoehorn in new characters without doing any without them earning any sort of place in the movie. Yeah, like easily one of the two dudes from the gay couple in the second movie could have taken Ashton's place or even oh both of them. God. Yeah, so I was like, and then in the whole, like, second half or, you know, last quarter of the movie, Ashton just, like, was never mentioned again. Oh, my God. I think it was also, like, thinking who who could have replaced the Ashton role, the two gay guys for sure, I forgetting their names because... 
they literally it's like Elle's brother I literally forget them the second they're not on screen they have no character but I also think Lee hanging out with someone else and Elle feeling something towards that that seems like a missed opportunity to have more Rachel moments because I don't know how she doesn't seem to be that much in this movie but also like she's been here from the beginning and we barely know anything about Rachel Lee's girlfriend I think she likes to draw I think she's one of the only people who I know who they're majoring, what they're majoring in college um, early on. Yeah, I think that's all we know about Rachel. She, like, only had, like, a couple of scenes in this movie where she, you can tell, like, there's some close-ups where she's, like, kind of doubting if her relationship with Lee is going to work because they're going to two different schools in, in different cities. So they have to, like, make the long-distance thing work. So... They kind of just like she was like and she was like the most mature person in the movie where she was like deciding, you know what, I do like Lee, but this relationship is not going to work because of, you know, our circumstances. So I'm just going to later she breaks up with Lee. And I feel like she's such a good character and like Elle hardly talks to her during the whole movie and uh, wasted. That's it. OK, that's a really good point, actually, that I don't think I've noticed about this movie. Uh, what is it called? Is it the? It's not the Bechdel test. That's something else. What's the test in film where you have two female characters and they have to talk about you something? Got it. That's that, the Bechdel test. Is yeah. it the Bechdel test? Okay, good. I'm so glad I know one thing. <laughs> um, this movie would not pass that because Elle's. And you know, there's nothing wrong with having male friends. You know, but the fact that the female characters that we have in this movie, which are Chloe and Rachel and Molly Ringwald, I think are the only other characters, main characters, at least, that Elle interacts with that are female. Every conversation she has with them is about her issues with Noah or her issues with Lee. She has no conversations being friends with Rachel or trying to ask Rachel about herself or talking to Molly Ringwald about the beach house or literally trying at all to be friends with Chloe, who's her boyfriend's best friend. It's just all about her and her problems with her boyfriend. She has no conversations that don't have to do with him. Ooh, okay. I think I I don't know. I don't remember the specific of this conversation, but... Another subplot, I'm losing track of all the subplot that we've already introduced, <laughs> but another subplot is that her dad has a new girlfriend now that Elle is super not about, so that's the other female character in this movie, and it was said that this woman, the new the new girlfriend, is her mom's old friend, like they were friends before, but I wonder if they also forgot that Molly Ringwald is supposed to be Elle's mom's best friend, because in this movie, at least, Molly Ringwald never talks about Elle's mom. And it was the new girlfriend who was like, oh, Al, if you want to uh, learn anything about your mom, you know, I'd be happy to talk to you. And I think that that's like one of the scenes that I remember that actually passed the Bechdel test because they were two women talking about a dead mom, which is a different trope. <laughs> that's problematic. Wait you know That's Yeah. Yeah. And there was a scene where the new the dad's new girlfriend and Molly Ringwald were like sitting uh, together in like the living room because they were all playing Monopoly later. And I was trying to, like, suss out whether Molly looked like she knew her or not. Because, like, the the thing is, like Faye was saying, Molly Ringwald and Elle's mom had kind of the same type of relationship as Elle and Lee. So, like, if 
Elle had a new friend, surely Lee would know who that person was. So, like, surely Molly Ringwald would know this random person. And I feel like there also could have been a conversation where she's talking to Molly Ringwald. We got to have that one advice scene every movie where Molly Ringwald gives her advice. But Molly Ringwald could be like, oh, don't worry about Linda. Like, I knew her from way back. She's cool. Don't worry. She's not trying to replace your mom, whatever. But there was like no nothing like that. I'm almost confused why this was a plot, because this was another shoehorned plot line just to take up space in this movie was the fact that there's this random other woman coming in trying to be Elle's new mom because her mom is dead, if you forgot from the past couple movies. I just don't get why this had to be a thing, because I feel like it's not like if Molly Ringwald's character wasn't a part of this franchise, I could get it. The fact that, oh, you know, she only has her friends to rely on her dad. She feels the pressure of, you know, having to bring up her brother alone, which they didn't mention. That's just something I feel like they could have done. But Molly Ringwald is already a mother figure to Elle. Why did they feel the need to be like, she needs a mother figure? She already has Molly Ringwald, you know what I mean? Like, I get in real life, it makes sense. Oh, the dad would want to move on and get a new girlfriend or whatever. But it, I just, it didn't have to be in this movie. I think that they wanted to do it because there's this one scene where the dad kind of like, uh, again, they're playing Monopoly and Al is like, I want to have the doggy piece. And then the new girlfriend, Linda's like, mm, I don't think so. I got it. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fuck all this. And she like storms out. And then the dad, like, uh, comes out after her, and he kind of, like, says, you're so selfish, you know, not everything's about you, other people need love in their lives. And I think that's, like, the whole reason that they shoehorned in this E-list subplot, just so the dad could tell her that she's being selfish. But, like, literally any other character could have told her that. Noah could have told her that. Lee could have told her that. Because she's trying to juggle her time between five different people could have literally been any anybody else. Yeah, we already have the plot point of her blowing off Lee to hang out with Flynn. Whatever the fuck is... God, there's so many characters in this movie with Noah. Noah. <laughs> um, it's just... Okay, I think as a character, Elle is a very selfish person. So anything she does, you could have had that conversation be like, mm, you're kind of selfish and you need a change as a character because you haven't for the past three movies. Like, I don't think we needed that E-list plot to come in because I really just think they were trying to pad the runtime. I also think I think they were figuring out what to do with her dad and her brother, maybe, because they're in every movie for like a minute. And I always forget they exist. But if she's going... <laughs> If she's going off to college, she needs to have, like, an important advice giving, I don't know, heart to heart with her dad. And they were like, we need a reason to do this, I guess, or something like that. To, like, Good point. put the dad more in a movie. But I'm like, no, we have Molly Ringwald. Like, that's the only adult figure that I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And speaking of just, like, shoehorned in subplots, there's this other, like, G-list subplot. <laughs> Of they go to Lee and Elle go to the arcade and oh my god the DDR machine is going out of order or something and Lee is like oh Elle let's add one more thing to the bucket list let's have one more dance on our DDR machine because we've been like doing this ever since we were six years old and Elle's like mm, I'm too busy and I'm like girl how long <laughs> does a DDR do game take do it now do it now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> 
when you said we have another Gila subplot, I was thinking of a different subplot from a while. Oh my god. Which is how many subplots there are. The one I was thinking of was that Chloe's parents are getting divorced, which why does that have to do with anything? Oh my god, I forgot about that. (laughs) Again, I think they just wanted to shoehorn in Chloe. They needed a reason for Chloe to be in this movie again. Because, like like we said, they're bringing up all the things that had been resolved in the last movie. Kissing Booth 2, if you don't remember. Marco has a crush on Elle. Noah gets jealous. Same thing happens. It got resolved in Kissing Booth 2, and they brought it back up. And that's, like, one of the... (laughs) subplots for this movie is Marco keeps trying to get with Elle and Fling Noah gets jealous and Elle has to be like no there's nothing going on <laughs> one of the plot lines from Kissing Booth 2 was that Chloe was getting really close to Noah and Elle was getting jealous of Chloe they resolved that in Kissing Booth 2 when Noah was like no she's literally just a friend like I can have female friends um, and Elle was like oh shit okay and they brought that back in this movie and they undid everything that happened in Kissing Booth 2. And they were like, mm, actually, what if in Kissing Booth 3, Elle was jealous of Chloe again? And they bring that back up. And I think the the whole they just bring Chloe in for a couple scenes to to cry to Noah about her parents. And then Elle sees and she gets jealous. And that happens a couple times. And I think that's literally the only reason why that was in there. So they could bring it back up again. That's such a stupid jealous reason because they were they were paralleling a line where Elle was talking to Marco about how much pressure she's under with a scene of Chloe and Noah talking. I forgot about what, but it was just like both parties were comforting each other. And it's like you both have history there, this weird thing, jealousy going on in the second movie with both of those relationships. I just yeah, I can't I can't with Elle being like jealous of Chloe again when nothing, literally nothing happened at all and like she was the one who kissed marco like like not to give noah any point but i was the one in that relationship last week who actually like did something wrong right so it's just what's going on what's going on can we all just acknowledge how much else sucks yes Yes. ellis the worst man i don't know how you're supposed to root for her this entire she sucks Oh my god, and you know what? Lee sucks too. He was like all right in like the first movie. In this one, he's so whiny and control okay. So Noah's toxic traits from the first movie have like trickled down into Marco and Lee. Because now Marco is like going around punching people for no reason, and now Lee is like being all possessive and weird about Elle. And I'm like, mm, what is it? What is like the opposite of character development? character regression they're going to like an even worse place i can fix it i can make them worse they're literally the writers are mixing up their characters the writers are sitting in the writing room being like "Mm, what's a plot point um this guy is being jealous and possessive are you talking about noah no we're talking about lee oh what's the difference just write it they're the same they're this in the same family who cares they're the same character it's finally Lee's turn to pass on that Flynn legacy of being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so the entire like second half of the movie, Noah is either mad at Elle or Lee is mad at Elle or both of them are mad at Elle because she keeps promising things to them, like promising to do things. And then she misses uh, what they were supposed to do. And she's like, oh, I'll make up for it by doing this other thing, which then she also is. And it's just like this cycle of like 
trying to make things up to Lee, but then also trying to make things up to Noah. And then also randomly Marco's like, oh, I have feelings for you. And I'm like, what? what's going on here? Okay, I'm looking at like the list in your recap of stuff that happened. And it's honestly just I'll ditch Noah for Lee. I'll ditch Lee for Noah. And I think it would have been really funny if they like leaned into the comedy of that. Where it's like, she's at a thing with Noah. And Lee's upset. So she's uh, she goes to do a thing with Lee to make it up to Lee. And then Noah gets upset. So she goes and do a thing with Noah to make it up to him. But then Lee gets upset. And then she goes to do a thing with Lee. And then Noah gets upset. And it's just this back and forth of whenever she's hanging out with one person, the other person's upset. <laughs> she has to do like something like a, a Mrs. Doubtfire thing where they're like, <laughs> oh Lee and God. Noah are both like in the same restaurant. And she's like, oh, I have to use the bathroom. And she gets up from Noah's table and goes to Lee's table <laughs> on the other side of the restaurant. Yeah, it seems she's, she's doing that over multiple days. This has just been her entire summer has been this. And of course, Noah has been, frankly, I never thought I would be on Noah's side because Noah mm, also sucks. Everyone <laughs> in this movie is literally the worst. Um, but Noah has kind of been through the ringer throughout this movie because Elle keeps ditching him and he keeps trying to do these romantic gestures. He makes her dinner. He like invites her out places and she's constantly ditching him. So it finally all accumulates at the place where it started, which I hate that they chose this location, but Noah finally breaks up with Elle at the Hollywood sign. And if you're thinking, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. Haven't they been to the Hollywood sign before somewhere in this franchise? Yeah, it's where he took her virginity. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where he gets to break up with her? That's where he's going to give it back. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, is it just me? Or aside from that tiny little fact, um, is Noah like the most normal person in this movie? Like the most reasonable per- person in this movie? Because while he's breaking up with her, he's like spitting some facts. He's like, I don't want to be one of the people that makes you put yourself last. Direct quote from Noah Flynn. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Elle, I've been noticing that you do things for me and you do things for Lee. But do you do things for yourself? And I'm like, okay, who is this person? <laughs> yeah, I mean, of the major characters, like the background characters, they're they're inoffensive because they don't have character things. But yeah, like Marco's really weird, Lee's really weird, Rachel's okay, I guess. The girls are mainly okay except for Elle. Yeah, I know. I was like, I don't want to be the reason you go to Harvard just just to like be with me to go to Harvard. Why is he the best character in this movie? He's literally the worst in every other movie. You know what? In the second, in our second Kissing Booth podcast episode, we mentioned that between Kissing Booth 1 and Kissing Booth 2, there was so much off-screen random development for Noah's character that in the second movie, he seemed like a completely different person than he was in the first movie. And now, watching Kissing Booth 3... He seems like another completely (laughs) different person than he was in the second movie, which was different from the first movie. And he always has this, like, development when we don't really see it, other than, like, a few scenes where Marco's, like, egging him on and he's just, like, not taking the bait. But other than that, like, we don't see him develop. But all of a sudden, he's, like, this grand romantic gesture kind of dude. And he's, like, super reasonable and he cares about, like, 
Elle's feelings in a way that he didn't really in the first movie. And I was like, this is a completely new person. Oh, you know what's where I was thinking, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. There's most of this movie, and all the other movies, follow what I was doing. A few times in Kissing Booth 2, it's following also what Lee's doing, because Lee has that subplot where he's lying to uh, Rachel and Elle. And it was like, what Lee is doing, what he's thinking. When do we get a scene for that, for Noah, where we're like following him without like Elle being there or something for him? Like, where's like, an introspective moment of Noah or like a scene where you can see, oh, this is what Noah's life is like. Because like all of Noah's harbor life we've seen through Al's point of view, I think. I didn't know what his major was until this movie. <laughs> yeah, literally, that's so true. I think, you know, there are a couple of scenes where Noah and Chloe like go to a bar and talk. But in this movie, all they're talking about is like Chloe's parents getting divorced <laughs> randomly or something. And it's not really about Noah. I, I think you're right. I don't think we ever got, like, a Noah POV introspective scene. That's so weird. He's the main male lead. Yeah, that is really weird. It is kind of, I think, maybe takes away from the movie by seeing everything just through Elle's perspective. Because, again, she sucks. So I just, she keeps doing things to different characters that make her unlikable and you don't root for them and you can't really see the other side to what's going on yeah and and Faye mentioned this in the kissing booth 2 episode also but we never really get to see noah and lee as brothers without them having arguments or talking about l like if you take l out of the equation we never see them like hanging out with each other even in the uh, second movie when Elle is going to visit Noah at Harvard, like, Lee doesn't show up or, like, doesn't ever visit him or anything. Yeah. Hey, remember what I said about the Bechdel test? And how <laughs> all, the, all the female characters only talk about the male characters? Hey, other way around, we're fucking <laughs> fixing feminism right now. All the guy characters only talk about Elle. I think it's- it works both ways. <laughs> It's maybe everybody is just talking about the Elle and Noah relationship. Like You're right. <laughs> with very few exceptions, every single conversation seems to be about that. Or the or the other one, Elle and Lee. Elle and Lee or Elle and Noah relationship. Every conversation is about one of those two. Yeah. And speaking of Lee, because Elle and Noah just broke up, we have a scene like directly after where Rachel breaks up with Lee for kind of the same reasons. I was going to mention this in my notes, but it relates here. So I'm going to mention it. I feel like the idea of Elle's journey was a good idea of saying like, okay, she needs to just live for herself and stop relying on other people and stop letting other people influence her. She needs to just take time for herself, work on herself, have a little bit of me time and stop basing everything in her life around Lee around Noah around you know um and just sort of like do things for herself and I love that idea especially for you know the the target audience of this movie I'd say would be like young sort of teenage girls that's a fantastic moral to to instill on those people but it just I don't think it entirely worked for Elle's character because she was forced into it. She didn't break up with Noah. She didn't come to this decision on her own. She was forced into that situation. And from that, she's like, 
yeah, I guess now that I don't have anyone in my life, I should do stuff for myself. Versus Rachel, who's so much... Rachel should have been the main character of this movie. Rachel came to that conclusion on her own. She's the one who said, do you know what? I need to do things for myself. I am basing everything around Lee. Lee is having so much problems by himself. I love him. We want to be together. We work well together. But now is just not the right time. We need to take some time apart and work on ourselves. Her evolution worked so much better than Elle's did. Because she came to the conclusion by herself. Yeah, Rachel is such a good character. Rachel is such a mature character. And she, like, is not passive like you were saying like Elle where she actually breaks up with Lee and she like I was gonna say she does all these things but like what else does she do in this movie (laughs) but yeah you're totally right I I would say I wouldn't like I personally don't knock Elle too much for being passive in this because like like she grew up around Lee and Noah basically her entire life I feel like that is like a hard situation to get out of what would have made this work for me more if if they did this earlier. Like, honestly, I think this should have been a storyline they did, like, two movies ago, where you know, she's, like, breaking out of, like, this pattern she has with Leah Noah, but, like, to have more time for her to be, like, what am I without them, and more time on the self-discovery. Instead of, like, it took us three movies for anyone in this entire franchise to say, hey, maybe this isn't a good place for you to be. But that's like, so like we got we invested like six hours into this, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah. And Molly Ringwald in we gotta have that advice scene every every movie. Uh, Molly Ringwald kind kind of tells her that where she's like, you know, Al, whenever you talk to me about what college you want to go to, you always say, you know, you can't decide between Lee or Noah. But like, I've never heard you actually say what you want to study and like what you want to do with your life. And then she, you know, we find out what Elle's major is, what she's passionate about in her life. And we'll talk about this later, but (laughs) very interesting choice they made. But yeah, so Rachel breaks things off with Lee. Meanwhile, the whole thing about the dad and the dad's new girlfriend kind of gets resolved when Elle goes and apologizes to the dad and then apologizes to the dad's new girlfriend. And there's, after that, there's another montage of this, like, party and Elle is saying goodbye to everybody, um, like the OMG girls and Tuppin and all the other, you know, B-list characters. And she's saying goodbye to MVP And she's like, oh, where are you going to college? And he's like, actually, I'm going to take a gap year. I'm going to figure myself out. I'm going to go to going to go to NYC, going to go to the Big Apple and become a musician. And I was like, oh, my God, that's cool. And I thought she was like going to my first time watching it. I thought she was going to like also take a gap year, like figure herself out. Yeah. Instead, I hate this. She okay because this this is like the end of the year. Everything's sort of accumulated. Everyone's broken up with each other. She's decides now that she's going to go to USC, which was not one of the two schools she was deciding on. She turns down both Berkeley and Harvard. By the way, she rolls up to the USC admissions lady and she's like, "Hey, I know it's like a week before classes start, but um, can I apply here?" <laughs> and the girl says yes. She's like, well, to me, 
she can apply for it next semester. But I did Al think that she could apply for this semester? Because they did make her wait until the next semester, which was slightly more realistic. She literally, okay, let me explain this scene to you. Because this scene, God, was infuriating. <laughs> so, like Amy said, she applies to USC literally, like, with a week to go before classes, which, you know, some universities let you do that, some don't, whatever. It didn't seem like they were still accepting students. It seems like she got in or at least got an interview because the lady she asked happened to be one of the judges for the Dance Dance Revolution (laughs) contest from the last movie. And the lady was like, oh, my God, you're the girl who won. I'm such a big fan. Yeah, let me just break the rules. (laughs) Like she literally got like her little privilege (laughs) To get wow. her in USC. Oh, winning, okay. Didi. Um, <laughs> you know what? You might be thinking at this point, oh, the lady who judged the dance competition? Is it because Al is going to go and be a dance major? You know, something that would make sense, considering in all the movies she does DDR with Lee. She's co-captains of the dance team, which is basically the DDR team uh, in their high school with Lee. And, you know, she just dances a lot in the movies. So is she going to become... I don't know, a dance major? Uh, no. She's going to become a what? A what major now? Video game design, which is not something, aside from DDR and also Mario Kart, apparently, we haven't seen her do very much video game-ing. Um, I did wa- I did rewatch the opening montages from the first and second movies. And in the second movie, she does start a video game podcast with Lee, and she mentions playing some kind of video game. And in this movie, they shoehorn in like five random scenes of her playing video games to justify this decision. And I'm like, I see what y'all are trying to do here. It doesn't make sense, though, to the casual viewer. Does not make sense. The casual viewer and also the intense kissing booth uh, fanatic. (laughs) But yeah, okay, game design is not the same as just playing video games. You know what I mean? Like, I just, if we'd seen her showing any, like, like you said, like, there's maybe a couple scenes per movie of her playing, like, Street Fighter with her brother or whatever. But it's always just, like, in a montage. She never talks about, I love video games! That She always talks about dance. Dance is what she's passionate about. That's what we, that's literally what the entire second movie was about, Mm. how much she loves dance. If we had seen her throughout any of these three movies showing any interest in innovating games, coming up with her own games that she wanted to play, like if the last movie, instead of being like trying to innovate or come up with her own dance for the Dance Dance Revolution thing, maybe if she wanted to innovate the Dance Dance Revolution game at all um because even in her application interview getting into usc of course she has to have like an interview where they're like what's your name blah 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 why do you want to get in one of the questions they ask her is to present a new idea for a video game that was the worst scene (laughs) that was really bad it was (laughs) awful if you thought that uh oh this decision to pursue video game development was out of the blue uh, just wait until you hear what her actual idea was when they asked her that question. Because she's like, hey, do you guys know fantasy football? How about like an esports fantasy football? T-? And I'm like, That's not a video game. <laughs> it's not a video game. It wasn't even esports fantasy football because there are fantasy football 
games. She did not come up with a fantasy football game for esports. She came up with like an idea for a website algorithm to like rank esports players. That's not a game. That's, that's a single line of code. <laughs> that is, that's like, and she was scrambling. She did not have an idea prepared when she got into the interview. I guess we didn't see the whole interview. We don't know what else they asked her. But like that was the last question, and she just did not have a game no. plan. Imagine working at Ubisoft, and you're like at the desk trying to like come up with a new Assassin's Creed game, and the people are like, hmm, "We need a, a, a new history." timeline for this new Assassin's Creed game to take place. And you were like, hmm, what if we ranked all the assassins from best to worst? <laughs> Some people will be like, hmm, that, that's not... That's not an assignment. Do you know what you're doing? That's not a game. She didn't understand the assignment. I thought she was going to do, like, another DDR game. And also, I don't think we mentioned, but in the second movie, when she and Marco were doing the DDR uh, competition. It wasn't even DDR. It was DDR freestyle, which oh is just God. dancing. Like y'all, it's just dancing. Okay, it's straight up just making up a dance. What you know, like a dance exactly. major might want to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is exactly why she should have gone to USC for dance, because it wasn't like a preset. You know, put your feet on the forward arrow and then the side arrow and blah blah blah, which they oh. did. But like she had to make up. The dance. It was straight up a choreography. Yeah, because Marco was the the freestyle one, but Elle was the one who was like doing a choreography. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> could have been yeah. a choreographer. Yeah. yeah she, she was literally oh, infuriating. She could have been so many things. Like she could have uh, been an event an events planner because mm-hmm. she did make the uh-huh. kissing booth yes. uh, in the first two movies. Uh, she could have maybe like because I mentioned Molly Ringwald is like a realtor. And the kids have to, like, clean up the house and get them ready for showings and stuff. Maybe she, like, wanted to be a realtor after that. I don't know. (laughs) Literally anything else. I think event planning would have been really good. Because she also had an event plan, all of the bucket list items. It seemed like she was, like, the one in charge of planning, like, the schedule and, like, all of the details. Event planning would have been really good. My other idea was for her, if they wanted to do a video game thing for some reason, that she... Is the choreographer for DDR. So, like, she comes up with the dance that they will program into DDR. That's like a very specific thing. I don't think you can major in that, but like, that's a job I think she would be good at. Yeah. That way they could have incorporated it at all into her, into something that she's passionate. Like, I get where, like, we've seen a couple scenes of her occasionally playing video games but the whole franchise basically has been about and it would be such a good accumulation of being like lee and i are going to take some time apart as friends while i go off to do this whatever but you know what like this is what we grew up doing as kids was this dance dance revolution game literally the entire second movie was about how like lee and l like one of the things that they do together is they dance and they come up with dances when they're doing this game it would have been such a good accumulation of that to come together and be like well i'm gonna come up with these dances now instead of just like "Mm, i played mortal Kombat with my brother once in the first (laughs) movie so i'm gonna make games now (laughs) like that would have been so good Because at the end of this movie, uh, we mentioned that the DDR game in their arcade, they're going to get rid of it. And then at the end, Lee 
puts the game like in her garage randomly. What if the opposite and she gave Lee the DDR game and programmed into the machine oh <laughs> is her new dance? Oh my god, this is so good. Wow. I also I got to just really great speed that fantasy football with what she came up with. I also thought for some reason she was going to incorporate the kissing booth into a game idea. Me too. I had no idea how she would have done it, but I'm like that's the thing she creates every movie somehow. So like that's got to come back. I think yeah, the entire time of this we were trying to figure out when they're going to put a kissing booth in and this was the last 10 minutes and they still haven't put it in and they're asking for L for an idea and I'm like, "Wow, L's greatest idea. What is going to be?" <laughs> oh my god. Fantasy fantasy esports. But instead of when you pick a player, they go on a team, you kiss them. <laughs> <laughs> it's a dating sim. <laughs> dating sim! Ooh. Yeah, if Elle was like, I'm going to become a video game designer to make a dating sim, well, that would, have, <laughs> that would have made a, a smidge more sense. And then uh, it would come full circle, and guess what? The Netflix would have made so much money if they made like a video <laughs> game. <laughs> 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 Wow, what if they release fantasy football, the game that Al made? Like, what? So stupid. Oh I was talking to one of my friends who's an actual game designer, and he was getting very heated talking about <gasps> oh, this. Oh, my God. So that's how Elle's story wraps up, basically. She applies to USC for game design for seemingly no reason, even though we all agree it should have been dance. She and Lee say her goodbyes. She and Noah say her goodbyes. They do kind of remember at the beginning of the movie in the first like five minutes when we said that they were going to sell the beach house and then that never came up for the rest of the movie. They do kind of try to tie that back around at the end of the movie, even though we literally forgot that it was a plot point. Molly Ringwald decides in the end she's not going to sell the house. And we have this weird little like it's a nice sentiment, I guess, because she, I guess, realizes how much her kids enjoyed the house or whatever but it was kind of like a weird up moment um the movie up <laughs> when she's talking to all the realtors and they're like we're tearing down every beach house in this area to build skyscrapers and she's like no i'm gonna keep this one they're like that's gonna look weird in the landscape and she's like so what <laughs> and it was like the house from up where it's just like an entire like downtown area around and then there's just like a single house in the middle um anyway she decides not to sell the beach house uh, after all she's got to buy some properties around it otherwise like the up house was like very cramped right like how much of the beach is part of her property like there's a lot of that molly ringwall has to think about <laughs> she should tie balloons to the top of the beach house <laughs> and, and float it from Harvard to Berkeley to U of <laughs> whenever the individual characters <laughs> see Hashtag Kissing Moon Oh god. Oh my god. Netflix, get on this. <laughs> oh, I was also going to say I have no idea what Lee's major is. What if his major is dance? Do we, we got his major. Okay. And it didn't also did not make any fucking sense because it's architecture. What? What? <laughs> what does there that have to do one, with anything? 
There was one scene when Rachel comes in like, Haley, can I talk to you? And she's like going to break up with him. And he's like drafting this fucking full ass like skyscraper, <laughs> like HGTV oh going to renovate this house. Uh, his mom's going to put it on the market. He's like making a whole fucking uh, sketch of a house. And he's like, oh, I'm just, you know, doing some architecture, you know, like my major is going to be. Anyway, what's up? <laughs> Again, you have to tie this into the movie if we're going to care at all. Because that's like one of the big plot points of this movie is where am I going to college? Okay, imagine this. The whole beach house thing. Make that more of a plot point in this movie, right? But instead of a beautiful beach house, they haven't used it in years since they were kids. So it's all kind of like decrepit and they have to, you know, it's like Molly Ringwald is like, we're just going to sell this old thing. Like, I don't know. We don't really want to fix it up. We haven't used it in years. It's kind of falling apart. Lee is like, no, I want to get into architecture for school. This would be a great, like, project like portfolio piece to be like i designed and fixed up this old beach house and that's what they have to work on and oh that's what l keeps ditching him for and it could be like a thing of like lee has a really hard time letting go so it could have also been a motivation of oh once mom see how beautiful this beach house is she's not gonna want to sell it she's gonna come back to live here yeah Oh my god, just like a mini episode of Love It or List It, right in the middle of this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Pimp my house, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would have been so good, though. Yeah, like, none of their majors made sense at all. They they didn't tie into the other two movies. And then we get this epilogue after Elle says goodbye to everybody, where it uh, cuts to six years later, and we find out Lee and Rachel are engaged. They got back together, and they're kind of walking past, like, their old high school or whatever, where the kissing booth was. And they're like, oh, look at those kids still doing the kissing booth. They're like, oh, my God, so cool. And that's, like, the only time we see the kissing booth in this movie. Anyways, so then Noah comes up, and he's like, hey, I'm done being a Harvard man. I'm a full-on lawyer now. He is a lawyer. How long um, is law school? Has undergrads for years. How long is law school? He left for college in the second movie, so that's like seven years of schooling that he did, minimum, right? Like, seven, there's seven years between when he went to college and him becoming a lawyer. I don't know if that's enough time to be a lawyer. I don't either. And also, it's like a weird choice because, as we've seen from, like, the first two movies, the only way he wins arguments is by <gasps> punching people. <laughs> Your Honor, I object. <laughs> Your Honor, may I approach the stand and then just punch the witness? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, he's literally Daredevil. Stop it right now. Lawyer <laughs> by day punches him out by night. <laughs> like looks at like I don't know, like the other party in the eye, like being like, if I lose this court case, by God, I'm gonna track you down and punch you. I see you up behind the alley. (laughs) Okay, so I looked it up, and law school takes around three years. So, like, I guess? So, like, four years of undergrad and then three years of law school. I guess he's, like, super good at law, even though, once again, we never seen him do anything academic. Also, he almost got kicked out of high school, I'm pretty sure, for punching people. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow both a bad boy, but also top of his class because he did get into Harvard. <laughs> is he in any sports, any clubs? What 
like with L and Lee, I'm like, maybe I could kind of pick another major for them that would make more sense. What the fuck could we pick as a major for Noah that would make more sense? He could be like a mechanic or something because he loves that oh, motorcycle. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Also, there's this like, I don't know why, but there's this random like throwaway line in this movie where the whole time for no reason, Lee's taillight has been broken on his car. And then before he leaves for college, I was like, oh, you fixed your taillight. He's like, I didn't. And then they look at each other like, Noah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. Our version of Kissing Booth, Noah the mechanic, Al the dan- on lead dancers, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rachel, we don't know anything about, but yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. fine. So we kind of know where everyone is at the end of this because, you know, Elle and Noah broke up six years ago. This is, I guess, their first time seeing each other in like forever so they very very and i cannot stress how awkwardly meet up again after six years and they it's kind of implied that they're gonna get back together in the end because Elle's like i have a motorcycle now and noah's like Shit, me too and they ride off into the sunset together on their motorcycles and that's the end of the movie <laughs> they always end off these movies with like a motorcycle down that right so they do, <laughs> they do. So I was trying to think of who was riding down motorcycles in each one. Like one of them was just L on a motorcycle, right? I think that was the first one. And then the second one, L and Noah? I'm not sure. Maybe. I feel, okay. Because the first one ends with Noah leaving. So maybe that's just L by herself. The second one ends with them getting back together. So that could be both of them. And the third one, they have their own bikes now. I think the second one, she was on Noah's bike like mm-hmm. hugging onto the back of him. Okay, and then yeah. this one, character development, man. She gets to ride alongside him as equals. <laughs> yeah. That feminism, yes. bringing the movement. <laughs> so that's the end of the movie. We have finally wrapped up three Kissing Booth movies. What happened in this one? We literally just went over it, but I can't, I couldn't tell you. I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. It wasn't clear. Let's fix this. <laughs> what are all our <laughs> thoughts on this movie? Faye, you are the person who brought us together oh, for God. all these movies. You've been here since the first one. What are your thoughts on the ending of this series? So I just looked at the notes again. and Apparently, I rated the last movie four, which is way too high for that movie. Um <laughs> Yeah, I think I really like that they finally addressed the thing, which was that uh, Noah and Lee both have unrealistic expectations of Elle, and they're both way too controlling of her. I like that that was finally brought up, uh, even if it's, like, way too late for them to bring it up. And honestly, I I didn't mind that the college conflict was solved in the first 10 minutes, because at the end of the last movie, I was like, oh, God, it's just, this thing's going to drag on for, like, another two hours. <laughs> I don't want to do that. Yeah, so that's my good thoughts about this movie. <laughs> but just, you know, everything I've already said is super disjointed. I actually really want to make a list of all the different subplots uh, just to see how many we can get. Uh, I feel like that could be another drinking game is every time a new subplot started. <laughs> um, yeah, just I don't write movies. I can't give advice for screenwriters, but I do feel like in general, like, you know, a general law that applies to a lot of things is like less is more. Everyone doesn't need a subplot. They need a personality. True. <laughs> you know, 
This movie is called The Kissing Booth. I feel like a lot of people know the kiss rule of keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid in booth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm super glad that they didn't end up together. It was like an open ending of, oh, are they going to get back together again? Which I'm like, okay, I'll take that because obviously they can't absolutely be like, we're done forever. Yeah. I was trying to think if I have any thoughts about franchise as a whole. I do feel like, like Noah, every movie we got was somehow the same thing, but just <laughs> also completely different. Like they get a personality every single time. All the character development gets reset or it's all something completely different. There's just like no real sense of continuity. Like the only way they know how to do continuity is just to rehash the exact same thing. And they don't let them develop beyond like the petty jealousy. I feel like you're super right about the continuity. In the last movie and also in this movie, I feel like they tried to play off the viewer's nostalgia for the past movies, probably specifically the the first movie. They have random lines, which would be exactly, you know, what they said in the first movie or, you know, like the ending of the movie being the same shot of them riding off into the sunset together. I feel like they tried to be like, oh, look at the Hey, remember the first movie? Hey, remember when we did that? It's a good movie because we made a callback and everyone knows the callbacks mean good movies. But it's not, you know, like you're super right. It's just that doesn't help that even though they oh, that's the line from the first movie. It was still it felt super disjointed. I feel like half the movie could have been cut there were way too many plot points too many montages it feels like they had a bunch of ideas for random scenes <laughs> just random scenes to happen they filmed all of them and then they were like eh, we'll cut it together into a movie in post and that's what we got yeah 100 percent i will say you know now that you mentioned like the dialogue and and stuff like that The dialogue in this movie, I feel like, wasn't quite as cringy as the first two movies. Maybe it's just me and maybe I'm a little more used to it now. But uh, can I remind you guys of the best line in Kissing Booth 2, which I'm sure you remember. (laughs) Elle says this to Noah when she's visiting him at Harvard and they're like kind of on a date. Okay. Okay. And Opey knows exactly what this is. I'm going to climb you like my own personal jungle gym. No, 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 take it back, no. So we didn't get, I don't think we got any lines as cringy as that one. There actually weren't a lot where I was like, oh, you know, during, so I think that's an improvement. I think what really helps is that in the first and second movie, there's so much, there's like more emphasis, I think. On, oh my God, Noah, he's a bad boy. He's so hot. Like all the shirtless shirtless shots and like that weird sexual line about a jungle gym but like in this one i feel like for one thing there's like a bitter sweetness to a lot of stuff because they break up and they're having problems but like the big romance scene i remember from this was like more of an actual like romance thing where they share a dance and they spend a night and it wasn't like whatever the fuck the jungle gym thing was yeah it was is more it was softer yeah and uh something we also mentioned in the last podcast is that there are, I forgot if there were none or just maybe one, but in this movie, there are no random stripping scenes like there were in the first Kissing Booth movie where Elle, like, gets up on a table and takes off her shirt in the middle of the party for no reason. Like, there are no, like, 
cringy secondhand embarrassment scenes to that level. Um, this movie doesn't embarrass Elle in the same way as like the first two movies. I feel it does. It does bring a lot of embarrassment. That whole there is a whole we didn't mention it flash mob scene <laughs> that makes me just have the worst secondhand embarrassment. A lot of the things that they do for the bucket list, I'm like. Lionel, do you not get embarrassed like ever? <laughs> so, but I don't think it was as bad as like the first two. I don't think anything's any scene is properly set up. I think yeah, like what Ashley said, it just had a bunch of scenes in mind and then they cut them together. Because I had no fucking clue where that flash mob was. They were at a restaurant maybe or a banquet. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I have no idea who any of these people are. They just wanted to add a flash mob in. I think. Again, a plot point that has to do with dance, and she didn't go into dance as her major. Yeah, Are you kidding me? Are it was like actual dancing. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and she's the one who probably choreographed, 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 choreo. Yeah. The crab asks. She's she's the one who made the dance up. <laughs> Good save, good save. Yeah. (laughs) I am curious. Okay, so at the end of, for anyone that listened to our Kissing Booth 2 episode, um, we knew that they were going to make a third Kissing Booth at the time that we recorded that. So we made some predictions in our last episode as to what we thought was going to happen in this movie. And I'm curious if they lined up at all. (laughs) So... Say what did you say was going to happen in the in this movie? Okay, I think I was probably what was it? I was thinking of like past like third third in a franchise teen movie, so like High School Musical three, Descendants three. What's another one? I had another one like uh, To All the Boys three. I was like trying to like think of what kind of stories they were told there. And so I said Marco will get a new love interest, Noah and I'll get engaged. Both of these things don't happen. And I was really dreading they would happen. It didn't happen. So in some ways, this movie exceeded my expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, what about you? Did your predictions come true? Uh, No. (laughs) I I said that they would keep dragging out Elle's college decision, which, I mean, they kind of did. They kind of... uh, it was like weirdly done though in this movie where they resolved it in the first 10 minutes and then in the last 10 minutes they were like actually never mind um she still has to decide so in a way i guess they did sort of drag it out the whole movie i predicted that l has to learn how to do her own thing and not get held back by her rules with lee which again in a way kind of happened that she realized that she has to work on herself without the influence of Lee in her life. Um, I got the rules thing wrong. I expected they would figure out that the rules, the friendship rules were stupid and drop them, but they didn't. They they kept bringing up in this movie. They're like, remember rule 14, you can't wear yellow on Tuesdays. And it's like, I, why is this? You're 18. What is going on? And my last one, which did not come true very sadly, was that I thought they were going to be in college in this movie and that Elle would have to run another kissing booth at college, which I'm kind of disappointed didn't happen. (laughs) I would love to see Lee and Elle make a new friend, a new friend that didn't know any of their old friends and be like, "Okay, now that we're friends, let's make some rules. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Lee and Ashton. 
Got to get on it early. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Amy, what about you? So it, it looks like I threw out a lot of different ideas here. So the first one is that Marco is going to come between Elle and Noah again, which does happen. But this time, Elle chooses Marco, which did not happen. Um, I also thought that Elle and Marco are going to both choose Berkeley and that L is still going to have those same long distance issues with Noah did not happen. And uh, another thing is, you know, maybe it was going to be based like the whole thing on the road trip uh, short story where L and Lee go on a road trip before college, which happened in the montage in the opening montage. Um, and I thought L was going to meet like a whole ass new love interest. Thankfully, did not happen. The last thing, though, and the one that I am the most disappointed in, and Faye, I have a feeling you're disappointed in this, too, is, and I think we mentioned this in the second podcast and maybe even the first one, but Faye and I have both read the Wattpad version of The Kissing Booth and not the actual published versions. So I don't know if this is in the published book, but in the Wattpad version, there is this one series of scenes that sticks out so vividly in my mind. And I wanted it to happen so badly. And that is, okay, picture me this, right? Elle is, you know, at school or at home. She's taking a book off of her bookshelf. There's an earthquake in California. The bookshelf starts rattling along with all the other furniture in the room and it fucking falls on her. She gets rushed to the hospital. And while she's at the hospital, <laughs> The doctor is like, oh, Al, you're finally awake. Okay, this is good. This is, um, you're okay. But the baby, we don't know. And <laughs> she's pregnant. I think I talk about this scene every time I bring up the kissing booth. Because it's so vivid <laughs> in my mind. I'm just waiting for the earthquake scene to happen. Which I get is totally different from anything else. But that's what makes it so memorable. <laughs> I thought, I hoped, I wished that it would happen in, finally in the third movie, and it did not. And I am so sad and so disappointed. Hashtag Kissing Booth 4, Molly Ringwald on a tour with a house from <laughs> a different university. Elle is on that house, a shell falls on her, and then she gets rushed to the hospital. So the ambulance, they can take the balloon house. And then Lee needs to design a new bookshelf with his little oh architect. My yes. <laughs> Damn. An architecture degree to design a bookshelf. He need, he's like, oh my god, the house fell apart in the earthquake. You need to design an earthquake-proof house. And then he fixes oh the bookshelf. He's so rich in California if he designs earthquake-proof houses. Oh my god. This is the only kissing booth for I will accept. Okay, so Netflix, if you're listening and you don't include that scene and you make a kissing with four, uh, we're going to be very mad. So. Yeah, this, is, this is the condition. If you want to produce a kissing with four, you must have this scene. This is the only way we'll allow it. We also had some predictions because we were left kind of open ended about what college Elle is going to go to. So we had predictions between Berkeley and Harvard. And Faye and I both said Berkeley and Ashley said Harvard and we were all wrong. So <laughs> Ashley was the most right because she did choose Harvard at first. This so, is true. Yeah, at some point Harvard was on the table and then it got knocked off the table. So we uh, also on this season of the podcast, we have this new segment uh, about things that we would improve if we were the ones making this movie. And I feel like we went over a lot of things already. Um, 
first of all, earthquake scene has to be in there. Uh, we talked about this a lot, but like a lot of things were shoehorned in, like all these B and C and D and F and J uh, subplots. <laughs> there were a lot of characters juggled around that didn't really get the stories that they deserved, like Rachel and Chloe and uh, people like that. Ashton. Um, Ashton. Ashton. Justice for Ashton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that we're thinking could have been improved or that we would have changed anything specific other than the whole movie? <laughs> kind of mentioned a lot of our thoughts I think just sort of as we were talking like having their majors relate to like Mm -hmm. that's just it's such a big conflict in the movie is people going to like oh Lee's going to this school but Noah's going to this school but blah 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 but we have to go here but where am I gonna go to have that conflict relate to where they end up to have I don't know. Like we mentioned, Lee has to fix up the beach house and that's how it relates to architecture. Uh, Elle goes into dance because we have so many dance scenes in all these movies with Dance Dance Revolution, the flash mob, anything just to have things relate more to cut out side characters like Ashton, replace him with the gay guys from the last movies to actually give them any semblance of character um, (laughs) or, you know, replace it with Rachel or whatever. So much that could have been improved, basically this whole movie, Um, give it like an actual plot that they follow instead of just like a bunch of random scenes sort of cut together, I guess. It's just like none of the characters had, I feel like, a clear motivation throughout this movie. They were just sort of like drifting by doing random things as they came along. And it makes us, the audience, confused as to why we're watching this movie in the first place. Uh, I would say a couple of things. Yeah, a lot of stuff we already touched on before. I would say a lot of things about this whole franchise is that other than Molly Ringwald, we were saying the adults don't have a very strong presence. Her dad is barely in it. And I just wonder, like, well, all of these things are going on with Elle and Leah Noah and their extremely toxic uh, friendship and relationship. The parents don't seem to know any of this. They didn't jump in in any of these movies in the middle to be like, hey, what's up? Like, Molly Ringwald knew that Elle was debating between Berkeley and Harvard for a long time, but she just waits until the last week of August to be like, maybe that's not a good idea, honey. Right. So yeah, I feel like they're just completely removed from any adults in the movie, which, you know, sometimes teen movies do that. They're like, they separate like the kids and adults, but they also like in a kissing booth, they also try to do this thing where they're like, Oh, Molly Ringwald is like a mom to me, but she doesn't, like, we are told that Molly Ringwald's, like, the mom figure, and she has that once-per-movie advice scene. Other than that, she doesn't really seem to be doing any mom-ish duties. And also, uh, she didn't come out. She didn't. She wasn't gay in this movie, which I was hoping for, because <laughs> Molly Ringwald... Oh, if I had a nickel for every time that Molly Ringwald was cast in a teen drama where she played a mom of the main character and then later came out as a lesbian, I'd have two nickels, which is... Not a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. It happened, <laughs> it happened in Riverdale. It happened in Secret Life of American Teenagers. Why did it not happen in Kissing the Three? Could have had 15 cents, man. Could have been so rich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want my nickel. Other than that, maybe like more scenes between the Flynn family. Because again, we didn't see a lot of Noah and Lee being brothers. And we didn't really see the mom interacting with them. 
Um, so it would have been nice to have like some Flynn family scenes. Yeah, I, I do think that, and I said this last time, but I do think this would have been so much better as like in anthology where every movie focused on a different couple to like fully flesh them out instead of like doing the same plot with Elle and Noah and Lee just to like focus on this time it's Lee and Rachel and next time it's, you know, whoever else. Yeah, I think this, the whole series would have been so much better as an anthology. My God, you're right. I think they're like, and I never read the original Wattpad story, so you guys tell me, but it feels like they were, they made that first Kissing Booth movie and it got so much attention or whatever. They're like, oh my God, we got to turn this into a trilogy somehow. We got to make the other movies. But Kissing Booth 3 and Kissing Booth 2 both have the same conflicts as Kissing Booth 1. They're basically the same movie. I mean, at least Kissing Booth 2 tried to sort of have a different plot with the dance competition or whatever, but all of them revolve around Elle and Noah getting closer together as a a couple and Lee being jealous. And that's every movie. And you're right, if it was an anthology and we focused on Elle and Noah in one movie and the gay couple in another movie and Lee and Rachel in another movie, and I don't know, maybe the dad and his new girlfriend, like so- something where we got to or a TV show. I don't know. Something where we got to focus on different characters instead of just rehashing the same conflict in every movie. I mean, that's a, it's a weird thing where they want to make new content. But then they're also like people like the first movie for some reason. I mean, it was really popular. Right. So they're like, we need to keep the same thing in the first movie because that's what people like about it and we just repeat it but then doing that they never let the characters grow past like a certain level of maturity with that to drag out if you want three movies you can't have everything resolved at the end of movie two you need or you have to reset it if you resolve it you know so yeah yeah and we kind of glossed over this but there was like 10 seconds of kissing booth in this movie and it's called the kissing booth three Make it make sense, Netflix. Kissing Booth 3. That's Tokyo Drift, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Question just generally, what was your favorite movie in the series? And also, what did you guys think of the series as a whole? I feel like, okay, I haven't watched the first two movies in a while. But I do feel like just based on what we were talking about before about how there's less cringy dialogue and less embarrassment like that, it was easier to sit through. Um, you know, like I think in the first two movies, there were points where I was like, oh, I literally cannot watch this. I physically cannot watch this uh, in the first two movies. But in this one, I'm like, I don't like it. I'm pretty bored, but you know, I could sit through it. So this might be my favorite. And then as a whole, my God, I don't know. Like what if, like a lot of things get reboots like 10 years down the line because some people feel felt nostalgic about it like is this like the iconic team franchise of this time are they going to try to bring it back like they did gossip girl and uh with i don't pretty little liars or like even now they're cashing on the nostalgia of like high school musical uh which i didn't think happened that long ago but apparently i'm a dinosaur so (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fuck off. I hate that. No, this cannot be the defining feature of the 2020s. This cannot be our legacy. Seems like a really weird outlier because there's a lot of, you know, like really a lot of genuinely like 
better written um, teen dramas out there now. Like it's, it's now like all teen dramas now. It's horrible. <laughs> but why? Like this one is like an extremely popular one. What about you, Ashley? What's your favorite in the series? I feel like I'm gonna have a different take than you guys. <laughs> I think favorite movie in the franchise, weirdly, is probably gonna be number two, just because uh, I don't know. The first movie was so cringy, and like you said, the dialogue it was like literally hard to get through, and I did not care. The second movie, I was like accustomed. To what the kissing booth was, so I I wasn't as thrown I guess as watching the first movie and being like, hey, what is this? And also, unlike this movie, it had an actual plot and the characters were like working towards something at least. So I think, and this is I mean this in the lightest of ways, liked the second movie the best. That's in air quotes. God, the franchise as a whole. I hate it. I hate it so much. I can't. You will not get. You will not. You will not find me watching these movies again. <laughs> I just. I can't fathom how. Like. Like you said. Like. There's so many other teen franchises like this out there now. Like to all the boys I've loved before. But that was actually like. I don't know. I enjoyed those books and those movies. Um. But this. It just like. They I, like everything we've mentioned. They keep rehashing the same plot points and the same conflicts, and it just doesn't seem like they know what they're doing. And those plot points aren't good enough to repeat three times. It's not like it was something interesting. Like, oh my god, the world is exploding, and you gotta save the world three times. No, it, they're just she's just having boy troubles for three movies for six hours. I hate it. I hate it. I'm done talking. Amy, what about you? <laughs> guys, I... Guys, I... <laughs> we gotta say something here. And while I'm saying this, okay, you gotta keep in mind that Ashley and I have been watching terrible, awful movies for at least three years now. And so something in my brain must have switch like like um like lee in this movie the opposite of developed like something something is going on up there but now i will admit to you this secret which is that the kissing booth three is horrible in terms of um you know plot structure and characters and whatever um i will say it was to me, the most entertaining out of the three. Like, I had a good time watching this <laughs> because I like watching movies that are so bad. And it's not so bad that it's good. It's so bad that it's still bad. It's terrible, but it's so entertaining to me. And not not the whole series, just The Kissing Booth 3 because I, like, really, really hated the first two. But... I don't know what is wrong with me, but I, I dare I say, liked the third movie. <laughs> Pack it up. The podcast is over. <laughs> something, something happened up here, up in the old noggin, because I found this movie, dare I say, enjoyable, entertaining, amusing, at times funny. <laughs> this movie but broke I- you, Amy. This movie <laughs> broke your humor. It's gone. Yeah. 
we can't do this podcast anymore. This is this is the, the bar. I'm just a shell of who I used to be. Okay, two questions. Ashley, what's the last good movie that you've watched? I mean, this this is also a hot take. I saw The Suicide Squad, and I oh, thought yeah. it was weirdly good. <laughs> Because okay. maybe just because the first one was so bad that my expectations were so low. Do you know what, Amy? Never mind. I take it back. Maybe I see where you're coming from. It's the expectations, <laughs> right? <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's the expectations. And the first two, I hated Noah so much. I despised him. I wanted to punch him for a change, right? And then, so coming into this, I'm like, wait a second. Hold up, Noah is a normal person. I didn't care about Al. I didn't care about Lee. Because I didn't have a problem with those two in, like, the first movie. Not as much of a problem. So I'm, like, I'm I'm coming into this, like, oh, my God. Get ready to hate Noah's guts again. And then I didn't. And I was, like, you know what? I can roll with this. This is actually not that bad. I think with the Kissing Booth series as a whole, you have to pick which character you um, want to like. Because you can't like all of them all at once. So in the first two, it's like, oh, Elle and Lee are okay. In the third one, it's like, Lee is despicable. Elle is annoying as hell. Noah's fine. So you just gotta, I don't, guys, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I enjoyed this movie. Kissing Booth 3, apologist. Kissing Booth 3, sympathizer. (laughs) Kissing Booth 3, not Stan, but maybe fan. Okay. She's joined the rebellion. I was, I was gonna ask if you were kissing booth three supremacist. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I I won't go that far because okay. there are so many other great movies in the world that this is. By the way, this is like good for a bad, terrible movie, right? We're holding this not to normal movie standards. This is like a complete level of its own. So like, it's not that bad. You become desensitized to what the yeah. kissing booth is yeah. that you watch this and you're like, damn, what was wrong with that? Yeah. Um. You know what? This will become the kissing booth series will become like a staple of this century when they make a parody, not another teen movie style, except instead of about she's all that. It's got to be about the kissing booth. Oh, my God. <laughs> So before we wrap up, we have a couple IMDb and Letterboxd reviews from people on the internet that we would like to share with you. We have three IMDb reviews to start off. The first is by user Jamie Gilliam, whose tagline is, oh no, this movie is so god-awful. We really did not need this. Also, realistically, nothing makes sense if you're saving money for college. How are you spending this money on skydiving and swimming with sharks on a waitress salary? That isn't happening. And I have a hard time believing his parents would pay for such excursions. Also, going to Harvard freshman year living off campus with your boyfriend ain't going to happen, sis. I know this is a movie, but thinking realistically here, that just can't happen in the real world. The first two movies were just okay. This one was bad. And I cannot believe I am leaving a review for this. The second review we have is by user Heatherington Martin, who gave it a 3 out of 10. And their tagline is, not much to say. Not much to say, with two O's. What a letdown. Me and my wife sat down to watch this film with duck pancakes? Uh, Sure. Um, as a light snack. And oh my god, this film ruined my date night. 
this film was so bad, I went outside and sat with my ginger cat and watched the mold grow on the side of my house. I will not be recommending this film to my golf buddies. (laughs) The last review is one out of 10 stars by WMSHD. Um, The title is, I don't even feel like I watched an actual movie. I almost clicked out of the movie twice, but forced myself to continue watching. Probably not the best idea. I just spent two hours watching random montages and characters crying. It feels as if there were no actual plot or storyline and the intended emotional response falls flat. Not to mention this movie doesn't even meet its own rom-com genre standards. The romance was pretty much non-existent and the tone of the comedy was childlike and forced. Very well said. We also have five letterboxed reviews for today. The first review is by just a peace emoji (laughs) who didn't give it a star rating, but they say relatable because they started crying every time the slightest little thing went wrong. (laughs) (laughs) The second review is by Jaybird and then in parentheses JJ Rabbit who gave it one out of five stars, and they made, like, a little limerick for us. Ooh. Joey King keeps colleges waiting as she spends her time deliberating, and they'll stand by even though it's July as she figures out who she's dating. Ooh. That was really... I'm very impressed. That That was really good. Can you check if this person exclusively does movie reviews in limericks? I hope so. (laughs) Hang on. Oh my god, Faye, they do. Okay, link me, link me to this person. So, wow, um, yeah, their username is jbird, and then in parentheses, jjrabbit, and uh, when I, you know, clicked on their thing, you can also look them up at letterbox.com slash j-e-p-e-l-z-26. So, give that person some love, because... They got some good poetry going on. Back to the uh, Kissing Booth 3 reviews that are sadly not in poem. Uh, We have the third review by Clara, sunflower emoji, who gave it one and a half stars. Satan couldn't reach me, so he let Netflix make this movie and made me watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Satan's powers. The second last review for today is by Issy. Uh, kiwi emoji <laughs> also didn't give it a star rating uh, this one's a little longer it says the whole film I was racking my brain trying to recall what her major was going to be when she finally decided between Harvard and Berkeley the tough schools she got into by writing a letter about how hard it is spending your summer choosing between two boys and I wasn't 100% sure they'd even mentioned it at all. And when I tell you nothing could have prepared me for the reveal, fucking pardon? She ditches them both to apply to a different school to do video game design? Whose arse did they pull that one out of? I would have preferred had they said she's majoring in, I don't know, events organization, kissing booth studies, kissing booth law, philosophy. We did all this for video game design? Insane trilogy of films. Oh, majoring in philosophy? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's better or worse than video game design. Honestly, she would have been like, oh, like 
what is the meat? What is the even the point of choosing between guys, man? Which is <laughs> like drifting in a universe, dude. I don't know, man. I think she could have done it. <laughs> the amount of time she spends thinking, just overthinking in these movies. I don't know. Yet, she has very little self-awareness. So. Yeah, true. true. <laughs> the last letterbox review we have for today is by Jay, who gave it half a star. It was only a kiss. How did it end up like this? <laughs> <laughs> it was only a kiss. It was only a kiss. That's all the reviews we have for today, and now it's time to get into our reviews. If you're new to the podcast, we rate all the movies that we watch on what we call the Gold Bloom scale, named after our Lord and Savior, uh, Jeff Goldblum. And that's a scale of bad movies. So a 10 out of 10 is not necessarily a perfect film. It's just good for a bad movie. And a 1 out of 10 is so bad, I could barely finish it. Say, you, like I said, you're the one who brought this whole franchise to our attention. You've been here from the start. Okay, let's go over what we rated the other two movies, what we rated this movie, and what we would rate the franchise as a whole. Faye, what uh, what are your thoughts? Okay, so I didn't realize this was a scale. I've been on here so many times and didn't realize this was a scale only for bad movies. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's okay. Because um, I was thinking, I was reading my previous uh, reviews, and I gave the first one a zero. The second there. one of four, and I said, I thought four is really high. Four is almost 50%. That's almost a pass. So I was thinking about knocking it down retroactively. But, you know, if this is just bad movies, then four is like, all right, it's not a great score. I do feel obligated because I said I like the third movie the best to give it a better score than I give it the other two. But the best I could give is like a 4.1. <laughs> Yeah, it was not deeply offensive to me, but it was also just really, really boring, and it just dragged on for a very long time. It wasn't super fun to watch. Oh, and for the franchise as a whole? God, like a fucking one. Hell yeah, dude. Like a fucking one. I can't. Rip her apart. Yeah, do it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't. It's just, this cannot be a defining teen drama of our generation. This cannot. Ashley, what are you thinking? Okay. <laughs> I also gave Kissing Booth 1 a 0. Um, I think we all did. Kissing Booth 2, I give it a 3, which I think I'll stand by as my highest score for these movies. I think I'm going to give this one <sighs> like like a 1, maybe even a 0 again. <laughs> this movie so much man i know there are worse movies out there but it just it sucked so bad man it sucks so bad it's like the blockade around naboo and the phantom menace it was stupid and pointless <laughs> and dumb and achieved nothing in the end it just i hated it as a whole oh probably a one for the whole franchise i, I can't i can't be bothered to care about this any longer Amy, what are your thoughts? Ooh, okay, so I also gave KB1 a zero, big fat zero. I gave Kissing Booth 2 the lowest out of all of us. I gave it a 2.5. Um, This one, this is, again, scale of bad movies. And I did, I hate to say, but I did enjoy this one. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I didn't despise Noah the other characters were very annoying and there was no plot. Still going to give it like a 4.5. 
I think. I think it was Damn. random. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow. I, or like maybe even a five. Oh my God. You know what? I'm going to give it a five. I, this is why. Because the series as a whole, I hated the first two, both of them with a passion. I hated the first one like super the most. I hated the second one a little less, but it was still, you know, not good. This one, I think I have it in me to watch it again. The first two, not what? at all. This one, I feel like I could rewatch it. So I'm giving it a five, guys. What? Every summer <laughs> when you have like a week off of vacation and you're like, what am I going to do? My annual summer tradition. The Kissing Boots, three. <laughs> I mean, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I could I could watch it one more time. For the whole franchise, I would rate it as a whole you know, 1.5. I don't think this movie, my enjoyment of it was enough to redeem the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I cannot watch the first two again. So, yeah, 1.5. Uh, just for reference, because, you know, we are no no group of critics here. We uh, hardly know anything about what a good movie is, obviously, based on my rating. But, okay. Uh, IMDb gave this movie a 4.8 out of 10. Y'all thought my 4.5 was pretty high. They gave it a 4.8 out of 10. And Rotten Tomatoes gave this a 21% from the critics and a 17% from the audience. Damn. Yeah. That's rough, buddy. That's rough. Yeah, I think the lowest... This is the lowest rated out of all of the the whole series. Oh, okay. Kissing Booth 1, critics of Rotten Tomatoes rated it lower. That's the only one that I'm seeing that is lower. Uh, that's true. Yeah. That's true. They gave it a 15. Ooh, still, it's not, uh, not good across the board. This is kind of a monumental occasion for us. This is wrapping up our hope, hopefully... God, please, hopefully wrapping up our first whole franchise on BMS. We watched the first one, second one, third one. How how do you guys feel about finishing all of the movies and being done with reading uh, these and watching them? I feel like so the first movie came out in, what, 2019, which two years. That's not like super long time ago, but I feel like. Like, because of COVID-19 and everything, I feel like the last two years have been 10 years. So, yeah, I feel like so much has changed in all of our lives throughout these two years. But we're still watching The Kissing Booth. <laughs> we come back to this. Yeah. You can't word it like that. That's <laughs> like, man, we've come so far in our lives, but we are still watching The Kissing Booth. So what's really changed? <laughs> this is like an the end of an era this is as much as we like to rag on the kissing booth it does hold a special place in my heart because it is tied so closely to this podcast to the fun times we had watching it together and just roasting it together and so even when i hate the kissing booth i can't ever really hate the kissing booth it's a curse it is, I will say, a good, not a good movie, but a good 
movie to rag on with your friends. If you have Netflix party installed like <laughs> we do when we're watching these, um, it's a it's a good movie to just sort of tear apart. It does bring people together in just how bad it is. <laughs> Yeah, this is, we gotta say goodbye. This is, as the uh, last Kissing Booth book is called, One Last Time. This is one last time we get to kiss goodbye to the Kissing Booth. So we want to thank everyone who's out there listening to our podcast and joining us on this crazy and nonsensical uh, and kind of terrible at times adventure. And, you know, you were there with us. You may not have you know, been there in the room watching the movie with us, but you were there in spirit, everyone who's listening to this. And we hope at the very least, if you did not enjoy watching The Kissing Booth, you did enjoy listening to our episodes and us ragging on The Kissing Booth. And maybe that also brought you closer to people in your life. I don't know. And, you know, biggest thank you of all to Faye for joining us for three of these horrible, awful movies and uh, taking six hours of your life. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) thank you for having me yeah well six hours to watch it and then another like six hours to do these podcasts yeah almost half a day yeah (laughs) we are so sorry (laughs) yeah it's been a blast thank you uh for having me on yet again well we will hopefully not have to do another (laughs) episode based on another kissing booth movie you know everything we got to say goodbye sometime. So this is us kissing the kissing booth goodbye. Uh, as always, you can tell us some more fun movies for fun season. If you want to email them to us at badmoviesundaypodcast at gmail.com, or you can contact us on Twitter or Letterboxd. We're at BMS Podcast. And as always, a big thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing our theme song. The song is Riptide. And you can find it on his website, incompetech.filmmusic.io. Guys, gotta do it. Pucker up. Gotta do it. Mwah. Mwah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. We have been Bad Movie Sunday. I'm Ashley. Mwah. Goodbye to the kissing booth. (laughs) I'm Amy. Mwah. Mwah. That's a double French cheek kiss. Goodbye to the kissing booth. And I'm... Say mwah, 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 three for the kissing booth three and praying there won't be a fourth unless we get the hashtag going. God, no, 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 don't do it. <laughs> if you want to tune in to our next episode, we will see you next, next week.